What am I? What is the relationship between my mind and my body? The mind-body problem is an age-older problem. One of the questions you ask yourself, are your thoughts, feelings, perceptions, sensations, and which thing that happen in addition to all the physical process in your brain? Or are they as themselves just some of those physical processes? And what about gut feeling, instant? How we can anticipate uncertainty and predict situations before it happens? Do we understand why that happened to us? So when it comes to design robots or soft robots, one of the questions we can ask, should the brain and the body evolve at the same time? Should it be designed in a supervised way or open-ended way as we have in our nature? What kind of design we should aspire for? Optimal or adaptable? One of the questions we can ask, how do these robots can function at open-ended environment and anticipate the uncertainty? What if there's damage happening to the brain or the body? How they can adapt to each other in this scenario like that? What we are still lacking in designing robots to achieve the embodied intelligence? In this series, we are going to interview researchers from interdisciplinary field to answer these questions and trying to understand what are the missing pieces so that we can achieve embodied intelligence. And what kind of tools or series we need to develop for solving the dilemma of mind-body problem. First of all, we would like to say thank you for Professor Fumia Lida for initiating the International Workshop in Embodied Intelligence, as well as this podcast series idea as a part of the workshop. It was the first time in our field to have such a great event to stitch all the leading researchers and ask the basic questions and what could be the direction for achieving the embodied intelligence. I hope you enjoy listening to this series, and here's the interview. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to uh, the Embodied Intelligence Soft Robotics uh, series. Uh, hello, Nihat. Thanks so much for joining us in this series. Uh, I would like to ask you uh, how you would like to define yourself for the audience who may be first time listening to you. Oh, that's difficult. So my uh, background, uh, scientific background, is uh, mathematics. I, I studied mathematics, uh, did my PhD in mathematics, but uh, um, uh, soon after finalizing my studies, I got interested in, in uh, neural networks, understanding learning. Uh, at that time, I was mainly dealing with uh, Hopfield networks. And uh, then I continued working on uh, information theoretic uh, approaches to, uh, to neural networks and uh, that was um, the starting point for getting more and more involved in, uh, involved into uh, interdisciplinary mm -hmm. subjects. And yeah. uh, so uh, I wouldn't call myself as a traditional mathematician. So why? Because I'm interested in uh, many uh, more subjects that mathematicians wouldn't call them mathematics. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, me ask. What is maybe the first intelligent system you built when it comes to applied mathematics and the interdisciplinary interest as well? What is the first system you built? Uh, 
I never built an intelligent system. So that's our aim. So we, we all want to build an intelligent system, but for that, we have to understand what it means to be yeah. intelligent. So uh, we, uh, we have uh, great uh, successes, recent uh, great uh, successes um, where we think uh, to, uh, that we have developed some understanding of intelligence but a uh, well-accepted uh, definition of intelligence is not available at the moment. So mm -hmm. we have the feeling that we understand some aspects of intelligence, but uh, we also realize that our understanding is quite limited. Mm -hmm. So maybe if you can tell us what is actual inbuilt intelligence. Yeah, just a basic uh, step first. And what's still missing, as you mentioned? Yeah, so... Um, I think a big, big um, conceptual understanding is related to embodied intelligence. So people have realized that you cannot understand intelligence without uh, really uh, referring to the body and the way the body interacts uh, with the world. So you do, re uh, you do need uh, the physical constraints to incorporate the physical constraints in order to have an uh, understanding of the, the way your, your brain or your body uh, exhibits uh, behavioral uh, patterns. So um, that's a, uh, a very deep and important conceptual uh, understanding. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, uh, we, uh, we experience these uh, successes with deep neural networks. Uh, which also uh, reflect uh, important aspects of, of uh, learning and intelligence, um, uh, mainly related to uh, generalization ability. Gen generalization ability in learning processes is a very important uh, uh, aspect. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to deal with the new data in the future. You have to learn in a way that is helpful for you in the future. That's generalization. And this is a well-developed theory that uh, started in the 1970s to understand really what, is, what generalization is. And uh, machine learning has been built on that theory, the so-called statistical learning theory. And uh, that is now being uh, extended to the context of uh, neural networks mm -hmm. currently. So people are trying to understand the uh, um, uh, success of uh, deep neural networks in the context of, uh, of their generalization ability. Uh, but the big problem there is there are all these studies are without reference to anybody, uh, to any body. <laughs> so the systems are not embodied at all. So we have a simple input output mapping with many, many neurons. And uh, it is a a huge success to actually be able to train such a neural network to do something, some desired classification, uh, to solve some desired uh, classification problem. Uh, and they are doing better than we expected, and they generalize better than we expected. But uh, so now we have these two uh, huge um, breakthroughs, if you wish. One is this realization that uh, incorporation of the body is really important. And then the other more complementary uh, breakthrough, uh, understanding the understanding that actually uh, 
uh, deep neural networks can learn and can generalize. And we don't know how to put these two uh, big pieces together at the moment. So I think, the, uh, I, I think the most important uh, thing is really to combine these two, two breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting point. Maybe I can ask you a quick question. What does it take to combine these post parties? What does it take to achieve that? Um, what does it take? So I think, um, first of all, uh, even though we are celebrating these breakthroughs in deep neural networks, they are currently, there is theory, but currently most breakthroughs are uh, experimental in nature. So we do see that these networks generalize very well, but then we want to understand why they do this. So it's not theory driven in the sense that we predict that they are going to be, to gen uh, uh, to be able to generalize. We observe this in experiments and then we are trying to develop the theory and to understand, to understand why they are doing so well. So first of all, one has to, uh, to, to develop the right theory for understanding uh, these generalization abilities of, of the networks. And that understanding will help us, will help us to, actually, uh, to actually extend the theory in a way that it's also applicable in, uh, um, in embodied systems. Yeah, so um, I think, so what I have been interested in, in classical, in classical uh, learning theory, you have a predefined system, a, a layered network, and you train the network according to some learning algorithm. Um, and the network is usually taken to have one, one predefined architecture. And I think in order to, in order to uh, be able to deal with an embodied system, the architecture itself has to be coupled with the body. And no, I mean, nobody has done this. So there is, nobody's saying uh, that uh, a layered, deep layered network is the optimal architecture for an embodied system. So there's, there's uh, my, in my opinion, there should be a theory linking the architecture of the network with the body of the system. And that in, in a way that the learning will be optimal uh, when you, when you uh, let it run on that architecture. And the way I think about it in evolutionary terms is that the body and the brain evolved uh, at the same time. So they co-evolved. So the architecture is not something universal that is applicable to all bodies. It should be really, we need an understanding how that architecture is optimal in a given body. Mm -hmm. That's a very interesting part. May I ask you about, I think that's basically work, the architecture mm -hmm. and the and the body of brain here. How do you see the relationship in comparison to what you're doing in geometry? Because you highlighted how geometry and complexity is maybe interesting in the design architecture. Can you elaborate more about that? Um, yeah. Um, so there are several aspects of geometry and to, yeah, I don't know if I'm addressing your question with, uh, with my, with my response now, but uh, let me just elaborate, elaborate on, on the notion of geometry here. So geometry enters uh, the, uh, the field of uh, learning systems in various ways. 
First of all, we have the geometry uh, in the sense of architecture of the network. So what should be the architecture? Should, should it be a shallow architecture, deep architecture, some, some mixture, something uh, in between? Or should the architecture even reflect the body uh, somehow that we have some subcomponents corresponding to the arms, other subcomponents corresponding to the legs and so on? So the interrelation between the architecture, the geometry of the network and the body, that's one, one notion. But then there is there is another uh, another notion of geometry here, uh, the geometry of learning systems. So uh, all learning systems are modeled in terms of a, uh, a so-called statistical manifold. So so you have parameters in the system. These are usually in the neural network the uh, coupling strings between the neurons and the uh, biases. So these are the tunable parameters of, of the system. And learning is all about tuning these parameters in a way that, they are, that the whole system does a good job. Mm -hmm. uh, so how to tune these, these parameters. And so in order to do this, you use, so to say, this, uh, the, the geometric perspective uh, of, uh, of uh, a neural network. And it goes as follows. So for each parameter, set, uh, for each parameter set, you, you have an input-output mapping. Okay. So an input-output mapping is considered to be a point in some high-dimensional space. So here we already have geometry, point in a space. So for each parameter, you have such a point. Now you can tune these parameters, so you can change the parameters. When you change a parameter, so say you change the connect connection strengths, this means that you change this point in the high dimensional space. Mm -hmm. And going through all possible parameters, you generate in this high dimensional space a whole manifold, a geometric object that constitutes the learning system. So the learning system this way is interpreted as a geometric object in a high dimensional space. And learning is basically a, uh, a trajectory on that manifold, on that geometric uh, object in this high dimensional space. And now you have some objective function defined on that geometric object. So which tells you how good you are if you are on sitting in one point of that uh, geometric object and uh, so you want of course to improve your performance you want to go from from a point to another point so that your performance improves so basically this is done with the so-called gradient uh, method so you change your parameters in a way of uh, of uh, uh, that allows you to improve your overall performance so this way you have translated the learning problem into a problem of optimization on a so-called neural manifold. This is the geometric object that I was referring to. So geometry enters here in a very deep way uh, and allows us to actually not only understand and frame learning process, but also use concepts from geometry, in particular from information geometry, to uh, improve uh, the performance of the system. And that's, that's something I'm, I'm uh, very interested in.
Thank you for sharing that. That's also interesting part for the audience to have a different mm -hmm. perspective. But maybe I'm just uh, ask you, what maybe other direction do you think is still missing to achieve embodied intelligence? You highlighted one aspect, or yeah, if you have any other thoughts comes to soft robotics or robotics field in general, you think still we don't give much attention to this direction. Um, if you have any other thoughts about that. So I think, I think the, uh, the we are lacking in understanding of uh, how to control actually uh, soft robotic system, systems, uh, so embodied systems. Uh, classical robotics is, uh, in cl classical robotics, you have this uh, very rigid system, uh, which you can, uh, which you have a complete understanding uh, of, uh, and you can actually control is a well uh, of such system is a well-developed field and uh, controlling a, a system uh, um, that is uh, much more flexible and has uh, many more degrees of freedom is a highly non-trivial task and uh, you can of course you can of course uh, develop uh, learning algorithms uh, algorithm to to uh, uh, approximate a given function, let's say, but if that function is sitting in a highly, uh, highly uh, flexible body, uh, that uh, um, that makes uh, the problem very complicated. The problem of control, so it's very hard to to control a, um, an embodied system. Mm -hmm. So that's the the control problem. I would say it's uh, it's uh, one of the big challenges. Mm -hmm. I would like to skew in that case because I think you also highlighted the interaction with the environment. And when mm -hmm. it comes to the body and brain and interaction, when you look to the nature, they already figure, figure out that. So I don't know what you thought about the control part and the embodied intelligence and interaction with the environment. How do you see all these parts, yeah, from your perspective, if you have a look, what, what we can do achieve so that we can have this interaction with the environment? as we see really in nature or some creature, for example. Yeah, so one, one uh, important aspect, aspect within embodied intelligence is, the, um, is uh, given by this observation that complex behavior does not necessarily require complex control. Mm -hmm. So the interaction with the environment uh, allows you to perform tasks very complex tasks that might not require a high degree of, of control. So that's one, uh, one observation. We can see this from outside, uh, but from inside, so we always have to take the perspective of the subjective perspective or intrinsic perspective of the, of the agent. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole complexity that we see from outside, the complexity of behavior is not necessarily visible. To the uh, uh, to the agent, so from the intrinsic perspective, so all the the agent has is its uh, its in, its intrinsic perspective, and uh, uh, and it has to develop some some um, understanding of uh, the consequences of its actions. So, what is the consequence of my action um, uh, on the next sensory uh, input? Uh, and having that, that's the only information that the agent has. So the agent does not have a perspective about uh, an external perspective about the interactions with the environment. So 
any learning algorithm that we uh, might develop should really build on this intrinsic perspective. Mm -hmm. so, but it can still, so it's not a contradiction. So the system knows less, but can actually perform more even without knowing how complex the behavior is. We have always to take this intrinsic perspective in order to do, uh, derive uh, learning algorithms. Mm -hmm. And I think one, one, core, um, one core concept here is prediction. So the system has to discover islands of uh, predictability. I mean, if I cannot predict the consequences of my actions, why should I take an action? So there's no way, no, no reason for me to, to do that. So the, the system has to be able to control uh, its uh, next sensory inputs by performing particular actions. And in order to do that, it needs to discover, explore islands of predictability. And that's, I think, uh, uh, an important aspect. Mm -hmm. So to yeah. summarize, maybe uh, interactions with the world, with the environment are very important. And that's the, the key, so to say but they are not directly visible to the agent itself. So, and any, any, any uh, learning algorithm has to be performed uh, from this intrinsic perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe I can just ask you what something is still hard to understand and what could be the technological blocks in terms of computation, for example, or yeah, maybe hardware or software. You see, that's a technological roadblocks. And also something is still hard to understand when it comes to intelligence. Something still, yeah, ambiguous for you or it's hard to understand. So first of all, I mean, we have this whole issue of uh, strong AI and nobody, I mean, there are many theories on uh, how consciousness uh, is uh, uh, generated and this phenomenal experiences, how they uh, come about. And there are several theories, and some theories say we don't need anything else, so we have already everything. And uh, for instance, uh, the theory of uh, Giulio Tononi, who says that uh, consciousness is all about information integration. So if the brain that controls the body requires high degree of information integration, then it will be conscious. That's, that's basically the, uh, the, uh, the idea. But other theories uh, say that's that's not going to work because with this uh, other, I mean, uh, you need some some additional element in order to uh, to uh, generate or uh, to build uh, conscious robots. Um, so if you if you think that intelligence requires consciousness, if this is an important ingredient, I have to say I don't know. I mean, uh, we are still speculating, if you wish. Uh, but uh, I, I think that we, that we have a lot to say by just being able to combine what we already have. So yeah. combining the field of deep neural networks, these learning algorithms that are, are developed, uh, uh, being developed currently with the field of embodied AI. Uh, that's something that will really be uh, very uh, bring us uh, forward in understanding intelligence. Mm -hmm. What could be these technological roadblocks? Do you think when it comes to achieve what we doing, for example, in hardware computation? Yeah, I don't think I don't think that it's about hardware. 
I, I, I really think that uh, you can equip any system with a body, somebody, be it, be it uh, soft, maybe it can do more with soft, uh, with a soft body, but uh, with any body that has some degrees of freedom, you have to equip it uh, to give it a brain that is capable of controlling that body. And then we need the right algorithms, the right learning algorithms. So that's, I think the principles are independent of any new technology. So they will work. So we have to find them. But maybe that some bodies, uh, some bodies are more flexible than other bodies and can, that you can do more with some bodies uh, than with uh, others. So that would somehow enable you to do maybe more, but uh, understanding the pr principles, I think does not require uh, mm -hmm. other technologies. So mm -hmm. the technology here is really new mathematics. Yep. As a mathematician, I'm happy to say that. <laughs> so we, of course, I'm going to have a few questions. First one, what are your aspirations when it comes to your work in the intelligent context? What's your aspiration? And do you have any crazy idea you think in that? I just want to do that, for example. Yeah. What's the aspiration or ideas, crazy ideas do you have for your yeah, for future work? Um, so as a scientist, you have, I mean, it's, the work is never ending. So I have, I, I had ideas from, I, I don't know, 2000, 2001, to when I did my dissertation and, and I'm still yeah. following this part. So it's not like uh, finalizing something. And I have this dream that I just described this uh, uh, geometric approach to learning coupled with bodied systems. So really to, uh, to uh, interpret this neural manifold as being something uh, embedded in, in, a, in a body and to controlling a body. Uh, that's uh, a theory that this theory, this approach is not complete and we haven't understood uh, all parts of it. So I'm, I'm somebody who really sticks with his uh, uh, thoughts and tries mm. to work it out and I'm still working it out. So I have no, if you wish, no new ideas. I'm building on my old ideas, mm -hmm. but I think we will really make a great progress based on this. I mean, you always think new things are more, uh, will be more successful, but uh, I'm somebody really sticking with the old stuff and trying to make it work. <laughs> Great. And do you, do you think ego is important for you? Mm -hmm. ego. ego, do you think ego is important for you? The ego, the ego, the ego. ego. Ego, what do you mean by that? Well, like, um, yeah, when it comes, we have this signature question, the podcast, well, the ego if you have new ideas and you want to discuss it so sometimes you have to prove that yeah uh, i am i have the great ideas and just uh, yeah i deeply cherish my own thoughts so it's kind of ego ego driven so ego has some negative connotation in my mind so that's important yeah, to clarify it, what it means <laughs> yeah it's interesting because it just has sometimes they say now we see that ego is really dangerous for the researcher and others say it's very important for me to have an ego when it comes to the field is very competitive and there's different ideas 
yeah, and that's also related to yeah how we can be intellectually inclusive. But sometimes you know we have funding elements and publication, and there's kind of competition. So sometimes we have the ego. I'm the best. Yeah, I yeah. have this idea. So the thing is, uh, yeah. Uh, so science is it's really it's really an interesting system. I mean, um, mm -hmm. I maybe I it was not the most clever uh, trajectory or decisions that I made in the past because I, as I said, I always stick with my ideas mm. and I never jumped on the, uh, in, in a, or tried to follow a direction that people predefined because I'm not convinced on, uh, on that. So I really started from the beginning on my own ideas and kept this. And mm. I'm, I have to say, even if it takes years, uh, I feel myself confirmed uh, so the important thing is that you are not shouldn't be so dependent on funding that's maybe easily said but in that in that mm -hmm. uh, direction i'm quite happy that uh, i am uh, uh, i'm not so dependent on uh, on funding and uh, um, i made it uh, until recently i'm i i uh, i'm uh, i got this offer to actually build up a new institute. Congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, on uh, data science foundations, and it will be uh, uh, at the um, Hamburg University of Technology. So I will have my own institute and um, can do my own research, building on my own ideas. And uh, yeah. that's, uh, that's uh, this is something that I was doing all the time, but it was more difficult. Uh, but uh, now with this new institute, I think it will be, it will be a yeah. great future. So, yeah. yeah. First yeah. of all, yeah, I think uh, I would like to thank you for being sticking to your own yeah, ideas mm -hmm. because I know it's not easy, it's hard. Yeah, when you yes. don't follow yeah. the trend and funding, so I can imagine how it's hard, but at least you are happy with what you do. And that's the most important thing. Uh, that's really, this is very important to, uh, yeah. to, uh, to, yeah, to be happy with what you are doing. Yeah. And, um, but I feel, I feel so there, there are, there were several stages, so to say, some, sometimes, so where uh, new trends emerge and everybody tries to jump on, on that trend and try yeah. to convince people that he or she is doing a good job within that trend. I, I never did this. Maybe that mm. was stupid, but uh, I, 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 I stayed uh, stayed with my ideas. And uh, um, yeah. you know, finally, finally, uh, I think I don't I don't regret that. Yeah. Uh, um, but it's it's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little thoughts again in, in a frame, because as we mentioned, I think that's something we already acknowledge in academia in general, that trend to have as much as you can publication. Of course, there are great researchers doing really great stuff, but mm -hmm. the trend that you are pressured to publish as soon as possible. Sometimes we don't have like take two years or three years to consider the real problems and make sure they are reproducible and, uh, and whether we're asking the right question, the deep question. So sometimes, yeah, there's gap happening here, and that's why you choose to be to do what you want to do. And and here, there's maybe argument happening that if you go to risk the ideas over incremental ideas. So, example, I just want to go for more risk ideas. Mm -hmm. From your experience, Nehat, do you think we have to go sometimes 
for risky ideas if we just this is where we need to go for or stick with incremental ideas and mm. be conservative because yeah I think most in, in academia we tend to, to be conservative and avoid risk mm. because it will in, include no funding include no publication and yeah you can be alone in an island so no one hear about you mm. and your ideas would be like yeah just outcasted and you will be a pariah in the community of course yeah that's what sometimes could happen so for you because now you have a success in what you do so which one do you recommend do you think we have to be hybrid or yeah it's a very it's a very difficult uh, question so uh, i myself would never if i had a second chance i wouldn't do it differently uh, so I wouldn't recommend a younger Nihat I to do it, to do it differently. <laughs> so, but I do recommend my students to do it differently. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so because uh, I feel responsible for them to get a job to support them in in, uh, in uh, securing their future, and I think that's that's a responsibility, and we have to to uh, um, somehow act. Uh, in accordance with the system. Uh, I myself think that uh, uh, risky ideas is, a, is, is good and we should have more, more, more of that. But uh, mm. if they are, I mean, sometimes you have risky ideas, uh, but they are, so to say, uh, there's a clear path. So you know what you have and you know what, what you are going to do and uh, so that's, and if the people are known, if you know that these people are actually doing good work, then, then uh, that, should be, um, uh, that should be preferred. But um, I mean, if the risky idea is just saying, I'm going to reveal the, the secret of intelligence, believe me, that's it. I have a good feeling about it. That's risky, but not very promising, you know. And there should be this promising side of it. And what could be, pro I mean, uh, the promising side might be unfair sometimes because the more known, uh, if you have known people who did work pre previously on uh, and to prove that, who did prove that they are actually quite successful, uh, then you would trust them, so that's the, their promise would count more than some a newcomer who's uh, who's telling you that he's going to uh, mm -hmm. to uh, reveal uh, intelligence. So um, so the promising side is very difficult, and it's, it's it's very hard to decide. On 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 the one hand, uh, the perspective of the scientists. Um, Sometimes I, from my perspective, I say people should trust me more, let's say. Mm -hmm. But when I, myself, I'm in a committee to decide about others, <laughs> of course, I, I take the more, more promising uh, uh, proposal, so to say. Mm -hmm. uh, because you need, you need some, some, uh, uh, some proof. So risky ideas, I think I would, I prefer risky and breakthrough ideas, new directions, uh, that's, that's very, very important. But uh, if they come from somebody who uh, ha uh, had, didn't have the chance to actually uh, 
show his or her competence, uh, then uh, it's difficult. It's difficult to uh, to grant this, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, it's a very difficult idea, a uh, uh, difficult task. But on the other hand, if you look in, in the history, many people uh, were not very known, and they turned out to be uh, work, uh, world leaders afterwards. Mm -hmm. But as a reviewer, you have no chance. I mean, to then you can just take a random choice. <laughs> I mean, so it's a very, very, very difficult uh, question. Yeah. Anyway, I respect what you said. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And so uh, but in, in any case, so I really try to, uh, in when I supervise my students, uh, I really try to uh, develop with them papers, not the the uh, so incremental papers, if you wish, to to uh, establish some connection to the community, but also to learn about writing papers and to have publications, and that's that's uh, that's very important. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. And the last question: What maybe the best advice was given to you, and uh, was a life changing? The best advice was given to you. The best uh, advice uh, the was best given to you. Okay, there are several best advices. <laughs> so, so first of all, the, the, the first advice on um, uh, when I finished my high school, I didn't know what to study. So I was good in mathematics, but I was also very interested in art. So I'm, I was uh, a painter and uh, had several exhibitions and uh, I was unsure about my future. So. I asked my teacher at that time, and uh, she gave me the advice to do mathematics. <laughs> and that was one of the best advices. <laughs> Great. That's and, yeah. yeah, and then the second one, maybe uh, equally important, came from a friend of mine when I was studying mathematics. And then there was this seminar about neural networks, and I didn't know anything about it. And I was finalizing my studies, my mathematics studies, uh, my uh, diploma degree. And uh, he called me and uh, asked me if I'm interested to attend this seminar together with him. And that was a starting point uh, with, uh, 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 with dealing with neural networks and so on. That was really the second uh, mm -hmm. advice, so to say. That's great, that's that as well. So thank you for sharing the advices, yeah. So do you have any final words you would like to say uh, for maybe the audience or robotics community? Any final words you would like to say? I, uh, I'm not prepared actually. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I can, I can, I can uh, say it again that you should, uh, um, once you have somewhat secure situation, you should stay with your ideas and try to realize them and, and uh, continue working on them. Uh, there is this pressure of publishing and so on, but, uh, and uh, especially when you have family, uh, you, you feel that pressure and you, you want, of course, to, to uh, be in a secure situation. And uh, um, once you have that situation, uh, you, should, you, should, uh, you should really stay with your ideas and follow your ideas. That's a good one. Thank you. So thank you once again, Hattie. I really enjoyed it. And thank you for being part of the series. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.